welcome to Cameras from the Couch, My Life Stands Health. I'm Nikki Lianza, and today we're going to be talking to Steve Guglielmi um, from our Columbus, Ohio office, who's going to help us understand bipolar disorder. So welcome, Steve. Good to see you. Good morning, and thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, Nikki, um, where to start? I've been in the mental health field for, uh, I'd say, a little over 20 years now. You know, like most clinicians, I started off in, you know, in community mental health. You know, I had a, a journey with the nonprofit world, which I really enjoyed working in, in the inner city of Columbus. And then I started working for private practice and did that for 10 years. Actually helped to develop that private practice into a pretty, um, uh, I'd say a mid-sized business of about 40 clinicians. And then we had the opportunity to acquisition into LifeStance. So then with LifeStance officially since October. So it's been quite a journey learning, uh, learning about the process and getting to know new professionals. And I've really enjoyed it so far. So that's kind of where I'm at on my journey. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. I do a lot of supervising. Uh, I do some teaching for the University of Dayton. So trying to keep my hands in some different things and, you know, keep my mind fresh. So that's kind of where I'm at. And tell me a little bit about your experience working with individuals who have bipolar disorder. Oh, but that's probably a good thing to mention. So over the years of, you know, being a clinician, I definitely have had the opportunity to assist many clients that have experienced bipolar disorder. You know, for me, as you know, as we'll talk about today, you know, helping clients understand the symptoms. And one of the things I've really pushed uh, in working with bipolar disorder is what I call insight development. And it can be very valuable to help clients understand the ins and outs of what, what bipolar is, what it means to experience certain, certain symptoms, and most importantly, learning how to manage it. You know, because I mean, I, I always say everyone on this earth has something about them they would like to fix or get rid of. And it's important to understand those things. And, you know, you can't just snap your fingers and make things go away. So it's really learning about how to effectively manage things. And that's such an important part of the therapeutic process, um, especially when it comes to something like bipolar disorder. Yeah, I agree 100%. It sounds like you do a lot of psychoeducation. A lot of Absolutely, yes. About mm-hmm. it. So tell us, what are some of the symptoms of bipolar disorder? So, you know, when, the, um, when they came out with the DSM-5, so they actually put bipolar in a different category of its own. There's actually seven classifications of bipolar disorder. The things clinicians and, you know, kind of population in general are going to be most familiar with are bipolar 1 disorder, bipolar 2 disorder, and psychothymic disorder. Bipolar 1, which I think, you know, we're going to be most commonly, um, is going to be most commonly known, Mm -hmm. is the manifestation of what's called a manic episode, which we will talk about. And then if you look at bipolar 2, which I emphasize not to look at that as bipolar light. Because sometimes, you know, even professionals think, well, bipolar 2, that's kind of a step down. It's really just a different classification. And really what we need to emphasize with bipolar 2 is the the, uh, the experience of a major depressive episode, mm. which can actually make it a little bit more dangerous for p- patients to experience. And then if you mm-hmm. look at cyclothymic disorder, that's when an individual really doesn't hit what we call a manic episode and really doesn't experience what we would call a major depressive episode. But really, bipolar disorder is about uh, an experience. It's a brain disorder, you know, that, you know, people experience mood episodes where there's an intensity 
Um, and with a manic episode, which we get in a little bit more into detail, usually it's something pretty substantial happens. You know, most commonly, you know, hospitalization or someone yeah. going to jail. And it can be a pretty traumatic experience for someone to experience mm-hmm. uh, because they're, they're doing something that's so out of character for them. I think that's a good piece to know. It is something very out of character for them. Absolutely. And it causes a substantial disruption in their life. And it can take a while to rebound and recover from something like that. Mm-hmm. I think there's been so much misinformation about bipolar bipolar disorder i i think in the common vernacular you hear someone say oh they're just being bipolar and i think what someone might be trying to say is like they're just being really moody and stuff but that's not the cornerstone of the, the disorder at all we are looking at it hitting you know you have to have the episodes of a, of a depression as well as a manic episode or a hypomanic episode hitting Absolutely. those two poles definitely you know so i i think with Depression, we we often understand what depression looks like, and though it can look different for different people, but I, I think that manic episode or slash hypomanic episode in a bipolar 2 disorder um, could be misunderstood of really what that looks like. And I think it is, you know, trying to describe it as like really intense, excessive energy, racing thoughts, you know, yeah. risky behavior. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more to help us understand? Well, I mean, something to add into that is impulsivity. You know, it's where, you know, if you think about it, someone going through a manic or even a hypomanic episode, their brain is just processing so fast Mm -hmm. and it really dilutes the ability to make healthy and sufficient decisions. And that's where this kind of, you know, decision making that is, you know, typically out of character happens. I mean, some common examples are overspending. Mm. You know, someone experiencing a you know a manic episode can really put their their financial future at risk because they're just not thinking clearly. Right. Or is another example of just putting themselves in very risky situations that they typically wouldn't. It often often correlates with high drug and alcohol use because again you know in this in this manifestation of a manic episode they're just not thinking clearly and not making decisions like they typically would. Mm. In my understanding, with some manic episodes, can come about for some people um, a type of psychosis or paranoid thinking. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, absolutely. You know, it, if a psychosis sets in, that will automatically classify it as a manic episode. And sometimes ah. it can be collect, directly correlated with a manic episode. Doesn't necessarily mean they have a psychotic disorder like schizophrenia. But the manic episode heightens so much that they will have delusional thinking patterns, um, Mm -hmm. moments of grandiosity, you know, or other psychotic symptoms such as, you know, hallucinations, auditory or visual. So, again, it can just be a very scary process for someone to go through. I was just going to say that just how scary that would be if a first episode happen and maybe the client didn't understand or the person experiencing it didn't understand or the family didn't understand like what is happening here especially because it's such a marked distinct difference in the character of the person and what they usually exhibit and stuff so looking at the difference of like what considers that a manic episode so i think what you're saying is usually like hospitalization if, if there's a psychosis with it and then looking at a hypomanic episode, is there something that maybe it doesn't last as long as a manic episode? Is there right with uh, mania? You know, typically, you know, symptoms can last up to a week. You know, okay. mania it's it's classified more as about four days. Okay, all right, and, that helps. And, and you know, 
when we talk to other clinicians or clients about this, you know, not to be redundant, but really one of the key classifications is a substantial disruption. And mm -hmm. the other thing that's kind of interesting about mania and hypomania is sometimes when people experience it, they there's benefits to it. You know, okay. and, I mean, it's tell us more about that. Most commonly, when we see patients coming in seeking help, it's when they're experiencing the depressive component. You're mm -hmm. not really going to see clients come into a counseling office in, in a state of hypomania because sometimes their productivity is going up, you know, and their <laughs> yeah, energy. Yeah. You know, I, another key component is, I mean, some, sometimes when someone's in an, an episode like this, they only need like three hours of sleep. Right, right. So this, like when I talk about insight development with clients, that's one of the key things that you help them understand is how important consistencies are. Like I'll tell clients, it's like when you have in, when you have consistencies in life, you can recognize inconsistencies much faster. Mm -hmm. And a simple, simple way to look at that is like sleep patterns. You know, if you, if you naturally have good sleep habits, good sleep patterns, you'll be able to recognize that your sleep patterns are becoming inconsistent. Yeah. Which can be collected, you know, directly coordinated with, you know, a manic episode manifesting. Now, because being in a hypomanic romantic episode, it disrupts sleep. And, you know, especially if you're running so high on energy where you're only getting three hours a night, if that, is there some sort of crash after the four days of hypomanic or seven well, days? You know, it, different, it, it, uh, it's different from person to person. Okay. You know, there's okay. something, uh, you know, the DSM talks about mixed episode or rapid cycling. Mm -hmm. You know, it's sometimes those mood episodes can go up and down, you know, day by day, week by week. So, I mean, sometimes there is a crash and that depressive episode can set in or, you know, just kind of a wall of energy mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. So there is kind of sometimes this crashing component where, gotcha. you know, if you go through this intense period of time and then, I mean, really, I mean, body can only take so much and you naturally just kind of right that's a good point that's an excellent point tell us a little bit more about cyclothymia i don't think that's something that people probably have heard that term very much especially so, associated with bipolar right yeah and you don't um you don't see that diagnosis too much because right. i mean one of the key components is is the severity it's not there it's just it was put in the classifications for bipolar just you know under the bipolar disorders just to recognize when a person's mood is fluctuating, but it's not, it does not hit the severe point of a, of a manic episode, but doesn't all, you know, also someone is not meeting the classifications of what we would call a major depressive episode. So therefore that's where the classification of cyclothymic disorder came in. Kind of like a, what I would call like a mild mood roller coaster. Yeah. That's a good way to describe it. It's definitely enough to have a, some dysfunctional impact but mm -hmm. not to the severity of someone that experiences bipolar one disorder. So this is for someone with what um, at least have the ability to question their mood and the changes that they're experiencing. You know, it's kind of, they're not feeling like themselves. They have right. these highs and those lows and they're just recognizing it's just causing some patterns that they're not desiring. In life. So what are some typical treatments for bipolar disorder? Well, I, most common practice well what we would call best practice is a combination of psychotherapy and medication okay. okay and so and that's where you know for someone like me i lean, I lean into this idea of symptom management you know i'll talk to i'll talk to clients and i'll say you know what if i can make this disappear for you i would if i can snap my fingers and make you better i would do that in a 
heartbeat. But the most important thing is that you learn about how this impacts you as an individual. Yeah. And one of the, I mean, it, it's a little bit silly, but one of the first things I try to recognize is when someone says, well, I am bipolar. Uh, and for me, it's, a, it's just a little tweak of like, let's just change that a little bit. You have bipolar disorder. That is just a part of you that's not. Steve, I'm so glad you emphasized that. Because I, I think it's when someone over-identifies with their mental health yeah. diagnosis. I, you know, I, and that's it's just important like, to sift it out of them. You, you mm-hmm. just try to open their eyes to a different perspective of like, and yeah. again, it's just, it's just part of who you are. We need to yeah. really emphasize the other parts of you. Yeah. This is just part of you that we just need to learn how to manage and Love manage that. in a way that's, that's, uh, that is best for you. Mm-hmm. And typically, that's where you combine psychotherapy and some sort of medication management, which I always tell clients, I never push med- medication, but I want you to know what your options are. Mm-hmm. That's where you get primary care physician, which typically, you know, with bipolar, you'll get a psychiatrist involved. Um, I mean, there, there's several medications. Most commonly, it's a, it's a mood stabilizer. Um, and, and what you have to watch out for, this is where a thorough assessment is uh, essential. Someone comes in, you know, and they're in a depressive episode. They'll, they can be uh, prescribed an antidepressant, which can actually kick someone into a manic episode. Yeah, good so point. You have to be careful about that and understanding right. And walking, you know, your clients through an assessment process to understand if they've ever hit that hypomanic or manic episode is pretty important. And I'm still thinking of how often it is probably very much misdiagnosed or looking at maybe when a person's an adolescent that maybe it's being deemed as like ADHD or something like mm-hmm. that. And just just the potential for this this diagnosis to be just so misdiagnosed often. Is yeah. that your experience as well? Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you mentioned children. Um, so like, I'll say 15 years ago, you know, when I, I worked with a lot of children and adolescents, it was just, it was pretty astonishing how many kids were diagnosed with bipolar disorder right. and put on, you know, what I would say pretty high tier drugs. Right. So for me, when the, you know, like when the DSM-5 came out, they put in a new diagnosis of disruptive mood dysregulation disorder. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that really, it really helped to reduce the amount of bipolar Diagnosis, diagnoses for children and adolescents. That really essentially was. See, talk more about that because I, I think that's another diagnosis. Probably a lot of people might not be familiar. Well, with. It, I mean, it, or it was neat learning about the history of the development of DSM five. You know, and they hit so many components because of you know the misdiagnoses. You know, and they got rid rid of not otherwise specified, and they transitioned that into more specified diagnoses to put clinicians and medical doctors in a position to be more accurate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. studies just show that there was, you know, it's just children were being overly diagnosed with bipolar disorder, yeah. which correlated with, you know, early medication management. So the goal is to put, you know, therapists in a position to treat the behavior right. before you put a child on heavy medication. Hence why they came up with that new diagnosis. Right. No, thank you. Thank you for clarifying yeah, yeah, that. Kind of classified as childhood bipolar disorder. That was kind of like the lingo that was coming, uh, that was developing. So the psychiatrist that wrote the DSM-5 just just decided to change that. Makes sense. It does, mm-hmm. for sure. So, so I, I wanted to throw one yeah, other please. thing in there in terms of a treatment uh, component. One of the things that I found to be very interesting is the relief people experience when they get a name to what they're experiencing especially with bipolar disorder. Sometimes it's not like they're super happy and excited to find out, but sometimes when they 
have an understanding. This is what I'm experiencing. I have talked to so many clients about, you know, after through an analysis and assessment that, you know, we come to find out that, you know what, what you've been experiencing for the past few years is what we call bipolar disorder. Yeah. Is yeah, I mean, there's it's just like you find out anything. If you have a broken arm or cancer, you just you become sad and there's a grieving process. But at the end of that, a lot of times I've seen clients experience relief mm. because then you can start to understand the commonalities of what this means and how it impacts an individual. Right. So I throw that out there um, just to emphasize the importance to use language with clients. To, mm-hmm. un, you know, developing an understanding of the specificities of what a person is experiencing, especially from a symptom perspective. Right, right. And again, bringing that back to just educating them about themselves and their symptoms. Yes. For sure. Is there any other takeaways you'd like to share to help people understand bipolar disorder? Um, I just, you know, my main thing is, is that it's a manageable disorder. It is. There are managing components. You know, I've talked to many clients about this. You know, when I talk about the grieving process, I mean, there's a sadness that's in when we start to talk about, you okay. know, what this is. But then at, at the end of that, you know, at the end of that, what we call psychoeducation is that instillment of hope of like, you know, and some people, you know, as they go through developmental periods, they they heal from this. I'll admit, I mean, sometimes it's scary because there's unpredictability to it. You can go years right. without a manic episode. I think what you should do is hope that that someone can definitely manage this for sure. And the other cautionary piece, just like, you know, we see with a lot of medical and mental disorders, there is a, um, there's a relapse piece that's important to note. You know, just like anything, you start to feel better. So you stop taking your medication. I I know I had the flu and I was taking medicine. I started feeling better. I would stop taking that medication, but I just, I always encourage anyone mm-hmm. to make sure you're talking with your doctors, your psychiatrists, exactly. your therapists about any changes, because that may mean you're doing something right and you need to keep doing it. Right. Right. Good point. And again, you're bringing up that excellent point of when people start to feel better and things are managed, that's when they're thinking, okay, I'm good. I don't need the medication anymore. Right. That was yes. the very thing that was really keeping them, you know, right. helping them keep it managed. That means we're doing something right. We got to keep doing it. Right. Right. I agree. <laughs> Steve, thank you so much. You, I think you really did a great job helping us understand a little bit more deeply about bipolar disorder. Absolutely. Really kind really of helping that. us understand those misnomers about it and clarifying those. So thank you so much. I appreciate you. Absolutely. Thank you for your time. Thank you.